everything that we do and everything that we say. And we have been looking at how the reality of sin in our lives affects that purpose and that calling through Old Testament um, people. And so today we are focusing on Jonah. We are going to take a lesson from his book. So I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Jonah. Um, it is between Obadiah and Micah, one of the minor prophets, towards the back part of the Old Testament. So if you brought your Bibles or even your phones, feel free to get those out to open your Bible. Um, I want to invite you to stay with me with your Bibles today because it's a short book and we're going to kind of be all over the story of Jonah. Um, so, brothers and sisters, we will start in chapter 1, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Jaffa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast the lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, Please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Thanks be to God. I think the story of Jonah and the whale 
is probably one of the first narratives we are introduced to as kids when we're learning about the Bible, right? I think most of us know it as Jonah and the whale because of the seemingly fantastical part of the story where Jonah is swallowed by the whale. The Hebrew word is actually dog the dole, which literally just means big fish. So who knows if it was a whale or not. But today, let's, I want to invite you to mentally put aside the story of Jonah and the whale that you know. And to come along with me on maybe a very different journey, the whale will be a very small part of our story today. And open up our minds and our hearts to what God has to say through some deeper aspects of the story of Jonah. Let's start where it's always good and faithful to start, by trying to understand some of the historical context of the book of Jonah. Jonah is a man from Galilee, whose ministry takes place between 800 and 750 BC. During the time of Jonah, Jeroboam II was king, which might not mean a lot to you in the back of your minds, but what this means is that Israel had just extended its borders. After about a centuries-long border war, they finally got the, the northern kingdom's borders back to where they were originally intended to be. And though this is a great victory for Israel, all the while, I want you to keep in the back of your minds of this story that the Assyrian nation is over here stirring up trouble for Israel. They are ever on the mind of the Israelite people as a constant danger and a constant threat from the very evil Assyrian nation. We know about Jonah personally, that he's a prophet. The literal meaning of the word prophet is a messenger of God. So Jonah's job, title, and calling is to take the words that God has spoken to him to the people he has called him to. Pretty simple, right? And Jonah's name means dove, dove. Maybe, like me, now when you hear this, you get a vision of another dove from the scriptures. Think back to Genesis. Noah is in the ark, and he has been in the ark for quite a while. And he opens a window and sends out a dove to search for what? Land. Dry, livable, precious land. And what does the dove come back with? An olive branch. A symbol of peace and compassion. So this man who is God's messenger, perhaps is being called as God's dove to bring that very peace and compassion to the people of Nineveh. But this is not what the prophet does initially, is it? Instead, what does he do? Yeah, he runs. He goes away. He flees right to Tarshish. Jonah is given a clear opportunity to do what he has been called to do. To glorify God and to bring his word to the people. And instead, Jonah turns away from his calling. He turns away from his literal namesake to bring peace and compassion. And he runs the opposite way. Not a great start for our prophet, for a man who's supposed to be a man of the Lord. He turns on his opportunity to bring God glory and runs. You'd think Jonah would have the words of the psalmist David 
running through his head here. And maybe those words that were written 200 years before Jonah are running through your mind too. Psalm 139, King David says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. A man of God, of the Israelite tribe, of the people of Israel ought to know this about God, right? <laughs> he ought to know the character, the nature of God, that God is transcending time and space, that he is ever-present. There is no place, like the psalmist learned, that he can go to flee from God's presence. Don't be fooled, brothers and sisters. Jonah knows this. <laughs> Our prophet understands who God is. So why the flight? A man of God who knows the character, the truth, and the calling that the Lord has given him, why would he run from a direct word of the Lord? A word that if we're honest, some of us crave our whole lives to hear from God that clearly. Why would this man who was made for such a time as this run? We don't get the answer to that until the end of the book of Jonah. But because you know, hindsight, we have the ability to, to look back. We're going to turn there now. So I want to invite you to turn to Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah has been eaten by the fish at the end of chapter 1. In chapter 2, he spends how long in the fish? Three days and three nights in the belly of the fish in the sea. And in there, Jonah prays. Jonah cries out to God. He praises God and repents. And then Jonah is spit up, brought back to land, right? Side note, I don't know about you, but the way I would ask for salvation from the Lord would not be being vomited out of the belly of a whale. But God knows best. Um, so Jonah is vomited up, and he is given another direct call. God gives him the same words over again. Go to Nineveh. Bring my word to the people. And this time, our prophet obeys. He takes the opportunity to glorify God by bringing his word to a lost people. And Nineveh does what? What does Nineveh do? Repents. Nineveh repents. Nineveh turns around from their evil and repents. Read with me now where we find our prophet after all this has taken place. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Jonah was greatly what? Displeased. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. 
Jonah just asked God to kill him. There's, there's some reference there back to one of the old prophets, but we'll let that sit for now. Jonah has said, God, I would rather die than see the people of Nineveh spared from your judgment. This is why I didn't want to go, Lord. Not because he didn't know that God was everywhere, right? Not because he didn't know the nature of God, but because he knew greater the nature of God was mercy and compassion. And Jonah, when we find him in chapter 4, is sitting on a hillside waiting to watch the destruction of the city. He's angry, he's bitter, and he's going, okay, Lord, it's been the time. Where's the destruction? Rain down the fire, God! I'm ready to see the city burn. And when Jonah realizes that God is not bringing the destruction because Nineveh repented, he is a ticked off, pouty child. Sitting and saying, this is why I didn't go. I wanted to see the city burn. Does that sound like a man of God to you? Nineveh? has 120,000 people. Think of a modern-day Chicago. That's the size, by the way. Our, our capital, Lansing, is smaller than that, the population. This was a huge city. 120,000 people. And a man of God just watched an entire city repent of their violence at the word of God. You and I think he should be jumping up and down for joy, going back to Israel and going, look what my God just did. Let's give God glory because he just saved an entire city from destruction. But instead, Jonah's pouting and angry. Why? In order to understand that, we have to know a little bit more about Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of where? I hear it. Yeah, Assyria. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Assyria, you can consider them the main enemy of Israel at this point, outside of Satan himself. <laughs> and they are by no means a gentle enemy. Assyria is the thorn in the flesh and the bane of the existence to the ancient world at large. On tablets, written by uh, a king from Assyria who had just conquered a city, we find some awful things. He brags of this. I filleted many right through my land and draped their skins over the walls. I burned their adolescent boys and girls and a pillar of heads I erected in front of the city. Other accounts of the Assyrian Empire talk about the destruction of Babylon once they overtake it. And not only do they destroy and kill people and take others captive, they completely flood, destroy, and burn down that city. They don't leave hardly a stone left on top of another. Those that aren't killed by the Assyrians when they come invading, and be warned, they often came invading, are taken as captives. They're treated cruelly. They're put into difficult physical labor. They are humiliated. They are made to wear their dead king's heads on necklaces around their necks. And that's just for the enemies of Assyria. 
it treated its own criminals with equal violence. Punishments for different sins were having body parts cut off, being dismembered, or the perpetrator being handed over to the families of the victims and being said, take your own form of justice, we don't care what you do with them. This is an especially wicked, cruel, and violent nation. To help us understand the character of Nineveh, I want you to look at chapter 3, verse 8, when Nineveh repents. The king says this, Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Albert Barnes says this, Out of the whole catalog of their sins, their consciousness singles out violence. And to top it all off, in Jonah's lifetime, the prophet Amos prophesies that Assyria is going to invade his people, Israel, and to take them captive because of their disobedience to God. So not only does Jonah know the character of Nineveh, of Assyria, not only has Jonah seen it with his own people, but he has promised that what he knows to be true about the Assyrians is coming for his own people. Can we understand why Jonah is angry? Why Jonah is smacking his lips waiting for a meal of destruction? If you still can't understand that, and you are a particularly loving and compassionate person, God bless you. That is who we are called to be. But let me put it in some modern day terms. This week, the final trial for, I want to get his name right. Oh, the Golden State Killer took place. He was a very brutal killer in California during the 70s and the 80s. And this week, he was handed the sentence of life in prison without parole. 87 victims this man had. He was a known rapist and particularly a murderer. 87 people in this man's lifetime he had destroyed. And the sentencing was life in prison. One of the district attorneys said this, this beast deserves the ultimate punishment of death. Is it really so hard for us to understand why Jonah got up and fled from this opportunity to give God glory? And even if we can't, even if we are compassionate and can't understand the wanting to destroy a person and an entire people group, brothers and sisters, let's look in our own hearts. Have we not been given opportunities to glorify God that we have turned away from for much shallower reasons? It meant a pay cut and a change in our style of living. It was not convenient for our timetables that day. It would take up our leisure time and our weekend time. It would lose the name and the reputation we had worked so hard with our circle of influential people to make. It would lose us a relationship. Name it for what it is. There have been one or two times that we too 
have turned and run from opportunities to glorify God that he has given us. So yes, at the end of the day, Jonah's dead wrong. He has a bad attitude. (laughs) But aren't we kind of like Jonah? I think sometimes we're too quick to judge this man from Galilee. And I think one more reason that Jonah fled is his forgetfulness. He forgot that he was just as much in need of God's mercy as any person from Nineveh was. Don't we forget that too? We forget we need mercy just as much as the chaotic people we turn on the news and see today need God's mercy. We too were sinners and lost. Jonah forgot that his calling and his purpose in life was to bring God glory, as the psalmist says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. He had abandoned his prophetic calling to bring God glory and to make his word known for his own purposes. Let us not be too quick to judge Jonah because we have done that too. So we know why Jonah has fled, brothers and sisters. We understand that hopefully a little bit better now. How does it work out for him? How does his fleeing from the Lord's plan work out for him? Not so good, Rob. Not so good. He wakes up in the ship to panic, to utter mayhem. They are in the midst of fighting for their lives on a stormy sea, trying to outrun a storm. It's kind of difficult to outrun a storm that God himself is sending, isn't it? Yeah. Jonah wakes up to what you and I would call a literal nightmare. Knowing that he was the disobedient one, he invites the sailors to throw him into the sea. And kudos to them. They say no because they don't want to kill an innocent man. But eventually they give up. They throw him into the sea. And it ends with our infamous big fish coming and swallowing Jonah. So, so far, Jonah's rebellion has not worked out very well for him, we would say. Yet in the midst of this rebellion, something amazing happens that's going to change our story and change our focus today. Go back to verse 1, or chapter 1, and read with me a few verses, beginning in verse 13. Jonah's disobedience results in the storm, and here's what happens. The men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Did you catch it? Despite Jonah's disobedience, despite his direct running from the call he has been given to glorify God, what happens? God is glorified. (laughs) Jonah doesn't do it. 
a man of God, a Hebrew, one of God's own people isn't the one doing it. It's pagan sailors that end up glorifying God in the midst of Jonah's direct disobedience. They don't just glorify God, they cry out in prayer to God. They put their trust in him and throw this man overboard. And then it goes on to say, they make sacrifices and vows to God and they fear the Lord. Jonah might have been disobedient, but God still glorified through somebody. Pagans turn their lives, turn their eyes, turn their hearts to God, despite his disobedience. And what's more than that? Chapter 2, Jonah's in the belly of the whale for how long? Three days and three nights. Hmm. A prophet from Galilee is in what Jonah calls Sheol, the grave, for three days and three nights. Is this ringing any bells? Where else do we know of a prophet from Galilee who is in the grave for three days and three nights and returns? You better believe it. Jesus Christ himself. Jesus in Matthew uses this story of Jonah's disobedience to provide a sign that he is the Messiah to the world. In Matthew, Jesus says this. Here, let me find it. There's too many papers up here. Matthew 12. Jesus says, some of, the, or some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law say to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and, th days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now something greater than Jonah is here. God uses Jonah's direct disobedience the circumstances that result from Jonah's direct disobedience to make his name known, to point to the Savior, and to glorify himself. That is amazing. The book of Jonah, really as it is, should only be one chapter. It should be chapter 3, by all accounts. Jonah responds to God's call, goes to Nineveh, they repent, and God spares Nineveh. But instead it's four chapters. Chapter 1 is Jonah's disobedience. Chapter 2 is Jonah's repentance for his disobedience. And chapter 4 is the reason and the grumpiness why Jonah disobeyed. So by all accounts, we should really just have a very short story of an obedient prophet. But still, despite his disobedience, God is glorified. And God uses those circumstances to bring glory to his name. Don't you and I have chapters in our life that shouldn't exist? Aren't there times we have been invited to glorify God where we turned and ran tail the other way? And how many of us can say that despite that, we have still seen God glorified? 
God made something, redeemed those circumstances somehow. It's not that our sin was good or that we want to sin, but it's that God is greater than needing us than our sin and can still be glorified and redeem our bad circumstances to glorify himself. That is the truth, brothers and sisters. At the end of the day, God will be glorified. You and I are given opportunities to glorify God. We are given opportunities to be used. But make no mistake, God's glorification is not contingent upon our response. God will be glorified. And the question that we have to answer is, will, be God, will God be glorified through us? Or will God be glorified despite us? We see both in the story of Jonah. In his disobedience, God is glorified despite him. And in his obedience, God is glorified through him. What about you? Because the Bible makes us promises. It is prophesied and foretold that God's glory is not dependent on us. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Willing or unwilling, every knee will bow, and every person will glorify God. Revelation prophesies, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And God says himself in the book of Isaiah, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. God will be glorified. We are simply invited to be part of that glorification. We know it's better, right? We've seen from Jonah, it's better to do it willingly. And that is our invitation. And the truth is, brothers and sisters, that path alone offers the abundant life that Jesus promises. Being part of the willing party to glorify God in this life. That's where we find that path to abundant life that Jesus offers. That is the place that we find our blessings as children of God. When we willingly glorify the Lord. And that is the best path that we can take to glorify God and make Jesus' name known throughout this world. That is what we are being offered today. God will be glorified. Our offering is to do it now, willingly, and be blessed for it, or to do it as part of the conquered party at the end of days. So brothers and sisters, look around you. Look around your life. And every day, see the big and small opportunities that God is giving you to glorify him. And then answer that question for yourself. Will God be glorified through you? Or will God be glorified in spite of you? May we live into our name, children of God, 
and our calling from Jesus to go and bring the gospel to all of creation better than Jonah did. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, we need you. We are a rebellious, disobedient, and self-centered people. And those are those of us who have been saved by you. Would you move in our hearts today to desire nothing more than to glorify you and to make your name known? Would you present the opportunities that we are being given from you to glorify you with our lives in bold and in our face ways that we cannot miss? And would we willingly, Lord, willingly submit our lives, our plans, and our desires to take up those opportunities that you have given to glorify you? God, we want to see your name glorified. Because we know that is the way that people come to see your goodness and your grace and to put their trust in Jesus Christ. May our lives be an offering to glorify you. And through that glorification, may we find the abundant life through Jesus our Lord. Now, Father, as we come to this time of worship and of response, would you hear these words we are going to say as the prayer of our hearts? Brothers and sisters, I just want to invite you to stand at this time as we glorify God together. Let this song be a prayer of ours that our lives would be used to say yes to the opportunities to glorify God that he gives us. So let this time of worship be a time of submission, a time where we are getting our hearts right before the Father and we are saying yes God, use me.
Just put your hands together and give God some glory right now for who he is and what he's done. It's been a great day to be in God's house. And before uh, Pastor Laura blesses us on our way out, I just want to uh, mention to all of you that once we, we're thinking that uh, as we get past Labor Day, we may be able to take another step here as a worshiping community. And that step uh, is we're going to uh, release some maybe restrictions on our masks that we've been wearing. And one of the things that we're thinking that we can do is that when we'll just move to a policy of music and moving. So when we are moving through the lobby and when we are moving around, we will have our mask on. And when we're singing music, we're going to need our mask on because we know that that's when the the droplets get spread as you begin to spit out in your joy of the Lord. We know that that's how it's passed on in the worshiping communities. That's what they're cautioned against. So we think to move to a uh, moving and music policy may be good. So then when we're feasting on the Lord, just like when you walk into a restaurant and you're feasting there at the tables, you can take your mask off uh, during that time. We think that will be a safe policy. Of course, we can always, you know, we may have to flip back if we have to. But along that line, we know that some people, that may still not be a place where they feel safe. So we're thinking of taking that area right over there, that section, and making that the mask zone. And if you sit in that area, you would have your mask on uh, the whole time. These areas would be when we were doing music and moving. And that's some of the, uh, we're thinking when we get past Labor Day, that that is something that we'll move to. So I want to thank all of you who are here for being compliant with the mask thing. We know that it's not comfortable, but we thank you for thinking about others. We're trying to keep this church family safe as best we can with the uh, information that we have, which seems to be changing every day, and who knows what is true, but we're doing our best, and I thank you for the extra grace you have shown and for compliance that you've shown and just uh, navigating with us through this, but we think we're going to be able to take another step. We're also looking at how we can maybe offer something for our children and uh, reopen the youth ministry. And so we think we can do some of that uh, in some safe ways as we take yet another step slowly to moving forward. So I just wanted to give you a heads up on that because I know that will change some of maybe some of your behaviors and preferences here, but that will be the mask zone and the rest of us will be uh, moving in music is kind of what we're thinking. So uh, if you have any feedback on that, which I'm sure you do, you can, uh, you, well, maybe just keep it to yourself because I've heard it all. All right, so <laughs> there we go. Uh, that's, you want to know how I feel about it? There it is. Uh, so, Laura, maybe on that note you should bless us. How about that? Praise the Lord. All right. <laughs> so, brothers and sisters, we have gathered together today to feed off of God's word, to be nourished in his community, and to be reminded of our calling to glorify God in everything that we do. So as you leave this place to go and do just that, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and forever. Amen. Go in peace, brothers and sisters.